0: Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Church Online. We're so excited that you're with us. Man, wasn't that great worship? I love to worship uh, with God's people. I love to lift up the name of Jesus and to exalt His name. What an amazing Savior we have. What a great Father we have. And the Holy Spirit is tangible and felt right here with us. The Bible says where two or three agree, uh, gather together in my name, I will be there in the midst of them. And here we are gathered on Church Online and, and we believe that God's presence is available to you right where you are. Because you're gathering with us in the name of Jesus. And for whatever reason, you're on our online campus. We just want to bless you. And we just encourage you to be an evangelist where you are. And you know, an easy way for you to be an evangelist, an easy way for you to share your faith and share the gospel is just for you to share this service. just to share church online with friends and neighbors and acquaintances and people you don't even know. And you can use whatever social platform you're on, but we want the gospel to get out. And so thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're going to continue our series, Celebrate Jesus is Coming. And uh, today we're going to continue on in the message that we entitled, entitled What the Spirit Says to the Churches. And uh, this is just a look at that Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And how the Holy Spirit spoke to John and told him what to say to the churches, uh, to these seven different churches that we're going to talk about. We talked about one last week, which is Ephesians. And I'm just going to say, due to time, we can't just keep going back and reviewing everything we talked about the weekend before. So I want to encourage you, if you haven't seen it, it, it is like a continuum, this teaching is. So if you haven't seen it, you need to go back and watch be a part of the worship experiences last week and the week before, so that you get the whole context of what we're talking about, because I don't have a lot of time to go back and reiterate what's already been communicated. So I want you to join me today in reading our text, and we're going to read today as a text, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. And if you'll read that with me right now, and then we'll say a word of prayer, and we'll get right into the message. Uh, Revelations 2, verse 10, we're going to read it out of the New International Version. And here's what it says: Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the victor's crown. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the victor's crown. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we pray that you will not just give us the understanding of what you were saying to the specific churches, but that also what you're saying to us in the context of prophecy, and then also what you're saying to us as individual believers and for the church today and how it applies to us. Help us, Heavenly Father, not to look at this from an ethereal perspective, but help us, Heavenly Father, to literally take this personally and practically and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Man, God is good, isn't he? Uh, you know, the church at Ephesus, uh, Jesus, when Jesus spoke to them from last week, Jesus spoke to them and he said, get back to your first love because they had left their first love. Some interesting points about leaving your first love. It's not lost your first love. Many people have taught lost your first love. It's not, we didn't lose something that we need to find and we don't know where it's at. It's this issue of leaving something, you know, that passionate, you know, when I was first married to my wife, we were so passionately in love when we were dating. I thought about her all the time. I called her all the time and talked to her all the time. I mean, you know that you remember that when you were really young and in love and you were, you were talking to each other on the phone and like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. I love you. No, I love you. And, and it's just this, oh, I thought about her all the time. I wanted to be around her all the time. I was buying her stuff all the time, even though I didn't have the money to do it. And uh, I just loved her that way. And fortunately, we've, we, in our marriage for over 33 years now, very fortunately, we still have a very passionate, loving relationship. There have been seasons that we've gone through where we've allowed ourselves to go through the motions, but for the most part, our life is very passionately in love with one another. And I I have to tell you that that is how our relationship with God is supposed to be as it pertains to spiritual things. This is why he tells us to to repent and return and redo everything that we did. Go back to how you used to treat Jesus and treat him that way. Remember where you left him. Go pick it back up. Go get passionate about that relationship. So if that's what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, now we're moving to what the, the Holy Spirit is saying to the church at Smyrna. And so the question then would be, if the question for Ephesus or the command for Ephesus was get back to your first love and rekindle the fires of spiritual passion in your relationship with Christ, then there's a question we need to ask. And Smyrna answers this question. What can I expect from the world? If I decide that I'm not going to give in to a compromising posture. I'm not going to give into a lukewarm mentality. I'm not going to be the kind of person who allows my spiritual, uh, fire to go out. If you will, I'm going to be a person who follows God and loves God and does what God says. And I'm going to passionately serve him. What can I expect from the world? How can I expect the world to treat me or the world to act? And you know, a lot of us, we have, I have to say that there have been seasons in a lot of our lives as Christians, where we've, We've been less passionate about our relationship with God simply because there was external pressure being put on us to don't be so radical or don't get so carried away or don't give all your money to the church or don't don't serve so much or you guys just go overboard. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you can experience it in different ways. Sometimes people don't just say it like that. Sometimes they just put pressure on you uh, with certain actions or attitudes or mentalities. And we have to get over this thing that we struggle with so much. It's, you know, I often think, and I get tickled about this because I, I really believe this is true. I often think that, that um, high school is literally a microcosm of life because you're dealing with people, and people have all these insecurities, they have all these gifts, they have all these talents, they have all these failures, they have all of these idiosyncrasies. All of this stuff that we as human beings have and what happens is we allow each other to affect our lives in such a way that the pressures that come externally due to those relationships cause us to make decisions that aren't really the best decisions for us. And so, you know, a lot of times I think believers get this, I call it a, a low church esteem mentality because, you know, what the church isn't this building or even the organization. The church is us as believers coming together to worship Christ and living out a Christ-like life. That's what, that's what being the church is. That's what being a part of the church is. But what we've allowed a lot of times is the pressure that comes externally to begin to affect us, whether it's actual real persecution by verbiage or words or mentalities or mindsets or systems that are set up against us. Whatever the case may be, uh, maybe it's just negativity. Maybe it's just people who make fun of you. Maybe it's just people who mock you a little bit or whatever. Maybe it's not severe as what some people experience around the world, but maybe you still have some negative things that are happening to you. And the, the, the thing we have to do as believers is realize this is not new. Christianity has always been treated this way. This is the way they treated Jesus. I know that in today's philosophy and ideologies, a lot of people have made it sound like because the religious world or even the, even the philosophical world in the day that we live in will give this acknowledgement to Jesus and say and if you listen to a liberal theologian or you listen to uh, people who have bought into lies about the Bible or lies about what Christianity really is and they'll th- in order to accommodate their lifestyle they'll dumb down their faith or their theology and what ends up happening is they'll they'll say crazy things things that really aren't true but they 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 put doubt and fear and in, in, in maybe even a little cynicism in our hearts. And um, what, what this type of mentality is doing, it's causing us to feel like, you know, they'll, they'll say Jesus was a good prophet. They won't say he's the son of God. They won't say he's God. They won't say he's coming again. They won't say that what he's saying is exactly true. Most of what he said they'll say is allegorical and it's not real and it's not truth. It's a good lessons. But you can't listen to the apostle Paul because he was extreme. And, you know, all of that is nonsense. And they say all of it to accommodate certain thinking and certain lifestyles that are antithetical to the scripture, if that makes sense. And what we do, because there's so much pressure in the world and we're being inundated by so much information about world ideas and the spirit of this age, pride, lust, fleshliness, carnality, all of this stuff, uh, rebellion, disobedience that God said are bad for our soul and bad for our life and bad for our spiritual walk. We, we almost compromise and embrace it, and it comes down to sometimes, literally, I'm making a point. I'm getting there. Listen, sometimes it comes down to this simple fact. I want to be in the popular group. It's like high school. It's like we revert to high school. I don't want people to think I'm weird, or I don't want people to think that I'm strange because I don't think like they do or because I'm different than they are, and I don't w- walk in lockstep with their mentality and their idea, but this is not new and we, and we need to embrace it because, you know, they didn't treat Jesus like he's a good prophet. When he was on the earth, many of them followed him and they were engaged by him. But when it ultimately came down to it, he was too much for them. And the truth that he spoke and the things that he said and the things that he did caused the world to revolt against him. They persecuted him. They even killed him. And I know that that was providentially the hand of God, but we need to understand that was the spirit of the age doing that work and doing that job of persecuting Jesus. And then the disciples came after him and the apostles came after him and they were persecuted and they were mistreated and they were uh, discriminated against and they were forced out of places and they were hurt and hindered. There were times during Nero's time as Caesar of Rome that he would literally light his gardens with bodies that had been sewn up in in these almost I don't even know how to say it just these bags that they would light and and burn Christians uh, to light his gardens they would make them go into colosseums and fight animals and be attacked and this was sport in their culture and so we need to understand this is not new and 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 John tells us in the book of John that we need to be careful that we don't fall in love with the spirit of this age, that we don't have this desire inside of us to be like them, to want to, you know, be the kind of they are and think like the world does. And I'm not talking about people don't misunderstand. I'm not saying we should dislike or hate or be mean to or, uh, or, or judge and criticize people. No, I- I'm saying that We need to make judgments based on the spirit of the age and the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding our life. We want every person to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, just like Jesus said he did. We want every person to understand that God loves them and cares about them and wants to have them in His family. We want every person, no matter what their struggle is, no matter what their pain is, no matter what their past is, no matter what their sin is, we want them to know that Jesus loves them and He wants to have a relationship with them and He wants them to be in His family and to spend eternity with Him. We want that for all of us, but we also want that for all of them. So we will not find ourselves being loveless, and legalistic we will not do that but we will find ourselves sticking with the word of god and loving people regardless understanding that we were once like that And we need to understand that the Bible tells us very clearly it's not our job to want to be like the world. It's not our job to play middle of the road. It's not our job to to do that. It's our job to be solely and completely committed to Christ and to His purpose. And that's how we'll win the world, and that's how we'll bring them into the family of God. John tells us, Love not the world, nor the things of the world. For if a man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's not we don't love people, but we don't love the spirit of this age. And what is that? It's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, that carnality in man that fights against the righteousness of God, that duality in us, that one side says, go for it with God. And the other side says, live your own way. We need to understand that God has regenerated our spirit to take the lead in our man, our humanity and overthrow that old nature. The Bible says in second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So the understanding that we should have is that when we come into a relationship with God, he regenerates our spirit. That's the theological term for being born again. We're born in the flesh And then God saves us and we're born in the spirit. So I say that to say, don't let's not be like the high school kid that needs everybody to love them. Let's not be like the high school kid that says, I want to fit in with the way things are over here. And even though that may require compromise on my part, it may require me to be somebody I'm not. It may require me to pretend. It may require me to compromise my morality. Let's not be like that kid that gives into that pressure. Let's be like the Christian who says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. I'm going to live for Jesus. It doesn't matter what everybody else says or thinks I'm going to live for Jesus. It doesn't matter what the persecution will be. I'm going to live for Jesus. And there's nothing in that. What I said, that means that we will will somehow be perfect and that we're no longer capable of sinning. That's not what sanctification is. That's not what that's not what salvation is. It doesn't make us perfect, but it does perfect us. It puts us on a road to perfection. It changes us day by day as we seek the face of God and learn of Him. You know, you can expect... So if the question... If the if the command from the church to Ephesians was go back to your first love that you left, then the question is, how's the world going to treat me if I live my life that way? And... The the letter to the church in Smyrna answers this. We should expect persecution. We should expect the world to treat you the way that they treated Christ. Now, let me just say that that doesn't mean we take a victim's mentality. That doesn't mean that we start seeing persecution in everything. And this is not talking about, let me be very clear, because of the times we live, I have to be clear. This is not talking about you feeling persecuted because someone disagrees with you politically. This is not talking about you feeling victimized because someone doesn't agree with your stand on some issue. This is about being persecuted for the faith of Jesus Christ. This is about being treated a certain way because you have a relationship with God and that relationship with God causes you to live a certain way that is different than the way others live and it causes them to look at you from a negative perspective or even do things that are negative towards you. Now, I'm not beginning to uh, at all say that that's what's going on in America right now that we're being persecuted. I believe in some ways Christians are being persecuted and they've always been persecuted. But I'm not saying that we're in a position where people are threatening to kill us or would kill us over Christianity. Some some crazy person might do that, but not as a system, not as a government, not as a nation. We're not there at this point in our history. But there are people around this world that are experiencing that. And the church at Smyrna was experiencing that, very much so. We should expect the world to t- treat us like they treat the founder of our faith. And how did they treat Jesus? They sped on him. They rebelled against him. When his, when his thoughts became too complicated to understand, when his words became too, the, the commitment became too high, they ran from him. They didn't understand him, and they crucified him. They killed him. They killed him. They killed him. The spirit of this age cannot stand the spirit of God. The spirit of pride in humanity cannot stand the spirit of righteousness in God. The spirit of, of condemnation in this world cannot stand the spirit of grace in God. And, and can you understand that 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 it's it's interesting, it's interesting how these so many people who are so against God and and they accuse Christianity of being judgmental and intolerant and hateful and bigoted and mean-spirited. That is a form of persecution in our nation today against Christianity. And isn't it interesting how all of the things they're accusing Christianity of, they are guilty of themselves. Even in that accusation, they're guilty of it. We need to understand that the spirit of this age, the demonic forces, that's what revelation is all about. It it, it, it takes us into this place where all of a sudden we're seeing not just what's going on in the physical world, but we're seeing what's going on in the spiritual world. And there is a devil, and he has uh, 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 imps and demonic forces all over this planet. The Bible talks about the idea that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness and the rulers of the darkness of this age. There are principalities and powers that are influenced by a, a, a satanic uh, uh, thinking and sp- an anti-Christ spirit. And we have to get this into our understanding. Because on the lowest level, it just seems like temptation. On the lowest level, it just seems like a little bit of compromise and a little bit of things here and a little bit of things there. But look what's happened to our society. Look what's happened to our culture. So we have to get an understanding that We don't need to be accepted by the world. We don't need to be loved by them. And when they treat us a certain way, we should be happy about it. Hold on, Pastor David, stop for just a minute. What are you talking about? Do you remember when Peter was beaten for the first time because of his faith? When he went back, when he was released from prison, he went back to the people of prayer. The Bible says he, he counted it a blessing. He rejoiced that he was persecuted like Jesus was persecuted. He rejoiced. He rejoiced. Instead of us taking a victim's mentality and saying, oh my God, they're treating us unfairly. We need to take a Christian mentality and say, thank God that my Christianity is so full and full on that people would treat me a certain way because of it. I am thankful that Jesus is showing up in my life to such a great degree that there would be those who live in the spirit of this age that would not like me or be against me. Now, I want to make another disclosure here before we get into the depths of this. That doesn't mean that we're trying to be people as Christians and nor were the people of the church of Smyrna and nor should the people in the big church down through the ages of history be people who are purposefully obnoxious and purposefully mean-spirited and purposely antithetical to other people or anti-everything so that people will hate us. We're not trying to make people hate us. We're not trying to make people love us. We want to attract people to the kingdom of God. We want to be so loving and so kind and so convicted about the principles of the word of God, that people don't see this sway in us. They don't see this ambiguity in us. They don't see this compromise in us where we don't stand for our convictions. And they see that we do it in love and in compassion, in grace. And that we're those kind of Christians that, you know, hit us once, we'll turn, hit us again. We're not, we're not going to engage in this cultural warfare in the sense that so many people are taking that stand we're going to engage because you know it's not our job to to fight in the sense for political freedom it's not our job to to fight for national freedom although those are good things and we want to stand for the liberties that we have I'm not saying that but what I am saying is the job of the believer is to get people to heaven. That's our job. Our whole role is to bring people into the presence of a loving God who cares about them. What the ultimate is, is to get beyond this world anyway to get them into the presence of God so that they can live eternally with God. And, and and that is at some point, we're going to look down on this earth and say, what were we fighting for? Were we fighting for the kingdom advancement? Were we fighting for the love of Jesus? Were we fighting in our mentalities and our actions and our ideas for political blessings? Or were we fighting for Jesus' kingdom to be built and people's lives to be changed? We need to not act like victims and we need to not act like people who are only here fighting for our rights. We need to be people who are standing in the truth of the word of God and being willing to be treated the way Jesus was treated with love in our hearts and joy in our spirits and peace in our lives. Real love always costs something. When you truly love someone, there'll always be suffering involved. Always. If they're harmed, you hurt with them and you hurt for them. If they're attacked, you defend them vigorously. If they're taken from you, you mourn them deeply. Love will cost you. I love what the author C.S. Lewis said. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. It's the chance we take to love, And it's the chance that God was taking with our lives when he said, I'm going to give you free will because in order to love, then you also have to be able to hate. In order if, to have free will so that you can love, you also can rebel. You also can make a choice that is not love. And, and it's the chance he was taking with us knowing that we had the propensity to go the wrong direction, but he provided a way for us to go the right direction. At this time, Smyrna was a, a center of paganism and false worship. In fact, uh, Smyrna was no, known for its loyalty to Rome. It was renowned of the worship uh, for the worship of Caesar. It was almost like a contest among the occupied territories at the time uh, as to who would get the privilege of building a special shrine to Caesar. And as it turned out, Smyrna won that contest. And as a result, they were known for their emperor worship. And they would declare, in effect, and they would require everybody in in Smyrna to declare this with them, and that is, Caesar is Lord. Not exactly how they would say it, but that's the the essence of what they would say, Caesar is Lord. And the believers in Smyrna obviously are not going to do that, because the Bible is very clear, when we serve Jesus, there is only one Lord, there is only one God, there is only one Savior. And they would not say Caesar is Lord, but they would say Jesus is Lord. Here's the bottom line. If you stand for Christ, you'll pay a price for it. You know, if you stand for Christ, there's going to be persecution. And their price was persecution. Jesus said, I know your works. This is what he said to the church at Smyrna. He said, I know your works, tribulation and poverty. It's interesting, it's, it's, it's interesting, excuse me, it's interesting why he would say poverty. Because Smyrna was a seaport. It was a wealthy and prosperous place. And these people were a part of that economy. And why would he say poverty? And because the truth is, what they did to Christians in Smyrna was much like what they did to the Jews in Nazi Germany. They would label them. And so if you're a Christian or you believe in Jesus and you're not saying Caesar is Lord, but you're saying Jesus is Lord, then we don't do business with you. And in Nazi Germany, when the Jews, they would come and put the label Juden or jew or the star of david on their business so people would know don't do business with them so here they were in a very prosperous place but their price was persecution and they would not do business with them we thought cancel culture is new cancel culture is not new the devil's been doing cancel culture since the beginning (laughs) beginning of time it's what they did to the jews they just basically tried to cancel them We want to get rid of them. Even the enemies of the Jews. Isn't it interesting? I don't understand why people don't believe in God because you could just look at the Middle East and believe in God because the things that the Bible say are true simply because why does everybody around Israel hate Israel so bad? That little bitty country. What? I mean, they're so tiny compared to everything around them. But, uh, you know, so many leaders uh, of modern times and past times have spoken out against Israel and said, we want to wipe Israel off the face of the map. Why? Why? What is the motivation? They're not so big. It's because the spirit of this age is constantly at war with the Spirit of our God. It's most likely in that situation that, that that a lot of them lost their living over it and they were living hand to mouth. They were living for whatever they could get, but they were not willing to give up their faith for it. This is why, Jesus commended them. So in essence, they gave up even their possessions to stand for Jesus. You know, this begs a question to all of us. How far were we willing to go for our faith? You know, it worries me. I'm just going to, I'm going to be honest with you. If your pastor can speak a little bit clear to you today, like very vulnerably to you today, sometimes I I get concerned. I believe in prosperity. I believe in that God wants to bless us. And I don't believe that being blessed in and of itself is sin. But I do believe that we can become sinful in the way we deal with our blessings and with the way we deal with our prosperity. Because what many times happens in the human heart is we become trusting of the things we have or the money we can make or the achievements that we achieve and we trust in ourselves and in our own prosperity more than we do in God. I've seen God bless people so many times and they begin to Trust in their blessing more than they do in their blesser. I believe this is why God required Abraham to give Isaac. It wasn't just a, a an end sample of Jesus is going, God is going to give his son Jesus. That was part of it, but it was also this requirement of I've given you this blessing. I want to see, are you more faithful to this blessing than you are to the blesser? And here's the thing: I just really believe that sometimes. Uh, We need to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves to become so, I'm going to say it spoiled by our own prosperity that we would not be willing to stand for the word of God. Or we would not be willing to stand in our faith and say, I will not renounce Jesus Christ. I will not say Caesar is Lord or the government is Lord or systems are Lord or co- popular culture is Lord. I will not say the all these things in my life that I'm doing and prioritizing in my life or Lord. I will not do it. I will only say Jesus is Lord and I will only follow Christ and I will not give up my faith. And and it concerns me that sometimes if we were really faced with truly having to give things up to follow Christ, where would the threshold be for us? And my hope for all of us is that we are so saved and so born again and so filled with the Spirit of God that we would not allow anything, as the text said, even unto death, I would not give up my faith. I will not stop believing in Jesus. I don't have time to tell you a story, but there's a young man that was that I know personally and he was telling me the story of his life and, and just to quickly give you the synopsis, he was being threatened with his life by his own dad to renounce Jesus as Savior. This was in another country and his dad had a shotgun to his head and he said something that was very profound to his father. He said, Dad, you're asking me to say I don't believe in Jesus, that I renounce Jesus And it's impossible for me to say that it will be a lie because I have met him. I have relationship with him. This is not a religion. I know him. I cannot say I do not know him. And my hope for us today is that we have that kind of a relationship with Jesus, that we're so close to him and so filled with his spirit and so empowered by his grace that it would take even the threat of death, that boy. Ran out of his house and his dad peppered the back of his head with that shotgun trying to kill him as he left because he would not renounce his faith. And ultimately, his dad, because of the courage of his convictions and the love that he showed for his family after that time, ultimately his dad ended up giving his life to Jesus. His mom ended up giving her life to Jesus. And they were brought out of a a, a false religion and into a relationship with Christ. And now many of them are in ministry and they're evangelizing their entire nation. It is amazing to see what God can do if we will stand in our faith. Um, the, 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 The... Scripture in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 through 11 says this in the NIV. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I love what Jesus says there. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. In other words, Jesus is saying, I count richness to be different than than you do. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. I want you to understand that one thing that Jesus is saying here that we might look over if we didn't pay attention, and that is he describes himself. I am the one that is and was and is to come. I have been dead, but I am now alive. He's saying to us, I'm eternal. He's wanting us to get an eternal perspective. And when we face suffering, when we face difficulty, when we face persecution or hardships because of our faith in Christ, we should always remember that this is temporary. When we go through sickness and when we go through health problems and when we go through tumultuous situations or loss of jobs or problems in our world or global catastrophes or whatever the case may be, we need to remember something. This is temporary the Bible is very clear and Jesus is saying to them because he knew the suffering that they had gone through were going through and were going to continue to go through for some time he was saying to them listen it's important for you to understand this is temporary I'm eternal you'll notice in that passage of scripture it says, that you're going to be, uh, you're going to be persecuted for ten days. Now, many times people believe there were ten specific persecutions in in the Roman oppression at that point, and some people believe that it was referring to that. Others believe that it's symbolic for other things or representative of other things. But I believe there's something very important that another theologian that I follow believes also, and that is this: that what Jesus was saying and what was most important is the 10 days represented, there is going to be an end to this. In other words, it's not going to go on forever. You may have to suffer some hard things. You may have to go through some difficulties. You know, the last two and a half years, we've been going through some tough stuff, or a year and a half to two years, I should say, and and, and and not just not just the pandemic or the COVID, but all the things that have come with it and the way it's turned the world upside down. We We have experienced these things, and at some points, it has felt like it's never going to stop but I'm telling you we live in a temporary state we live in a temporal world God is eternal. And the moment that you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, you didn't just enter into a faith agreement. You didn't just enter into a religious contract. You entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ who is eternal. And you entered into eternity. He didn't just say, I'm giving you life he said, I'm giving you eternal life. And as you follow him and live in him and have you, ha, let him have his way in your life, then we will someday enter into eternity and we will live forever in the presence of God. It's an amazing thing to think about. Smyrna got its name because it was a major port that traded in myrrh. You know, myrrh was one of the gifts that was given to Jesus when he was born. You know, the wise men came, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, it was one of the things that was mixed with the drink when Jesus was on the cross and they, they dipped it in, 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 uh, this drink that was a mix mixture of water and myrrh and some other things. And it was bitter to the taste. Those indicators of him be given myrrh when he came into the earth and when he was dying, that says to us that Jesus was coming here to suffer, that Jesus is not just our savior, but he's our suffering savior which also gives us indication that when we suffer, we don't have a Savior who does not know what it feels like to suffer. The Bible says that He was affected by everything we're affected by. And He knows what it feels like to suffer. He knows what it feels like to suffer loss. He knows what it feels like to suffer pain. He knows what it feels like to suffer even when you don't deserve the suffering that's being put on you by someone else. Smyrna was one of the most uh, uh, afflicted churches uh, and, and lived in bitter conditions of sorrow and suffering. Jesus presented himself as the first and the last, he which was dead and which was alive. He revealed himself to each church in the way that they needed to hear him. If you go back and look at all the letters to the seven churches, Jesus describes himself, when he introduces himself in the letter, he describes himself in the very specific way they needed him to be. So what he was saying to the church at Smyrna is, listen, I know it's hard. I know what you're going through is difficult. I know that persecution feels unfair. But listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I understand this situation. And it's not going to last forever. I think it's very interesting for this church, Jesus had no words of correction. He didn't say one thing about correction to them. He didn't, you know, all the other churches, he said, I have this thing against you. He commends them in whatever it is they needed, commendation. And then he says, I have one thing against you. Well, in this church, he had nothing. He had nothing to say that was, they weren't handling well or they weren't doing right because these people were facing the utmost of persecution and they were standing their faith. They were doing what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. When you've done all to stand, stand therefore. Stand. When you've faced the most difficult of circumstances, and if things get worse here, we need to be able to stand in our faith. And as the end draws nearer to us as it is because we're closer to it than we were before, we need to stand in our faith. Because that's what God is looking for. He said he wants to come and hopes that he finds this kind of faith on the earth when he returns. He commended them for several things. He he commended them for their good works in the midst of persecution and trial. He, He didn't correct them. He had nothing against them. He saw their poverty, which means they lost everything for the sake of Christ. And Jesus infers that they are the poor, rich church. In other words, Jesus says to them, you may be poor, but you're not. You may hear it may look like you're poor. It may look like you've lost. But what did Jesus say? He said, those that will will give up their life to follow me, they will be blessed here and in eternity. In other words, God was saying, you may think you're poor and according to the world, you may be poor but you're not poor to me and you're not poor to yourself. You are filled with the richness of godly relationships. You are filled with the richness of hope and peace and grace and truth. You are filled with the riches of of heaven and the riches of faith and the riches of life and peace and contentment in Jesus Christ. And he called them the poor rich church. Later we find that Laodicea, the church, they were the rich poor church, and you'll find out more about that later. But here's what he did: he he promised Smyrna a crown of life. You know, throughout the New Testament, Jesus promises crowns. Um, the the Bible is very full of times when you receive a crown. You might not know that, and it and it's an interesting thing to think about. And it doesn't surprise me really because God said we are priests, kings, and priests in His kingdom. And uh. Jesus promised him a crown so it, 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 what he's what crowns were in the New Testament were rewards you know you, you, you do this you receive a crown um it's all over the New Testament and Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 and in James chapter 1 verse 12 it says if you're faithful you'll receive the crown of life in other words if you'll stand up against this kind of persecution you'll you'll receive the crown of life he who is faithful to the end in other words doesn't give up perseveres keeps going to the end will receive the crown of life in 1 Corinthians 9:25 the bible says will be given an incorruptible crown those who are in Christ Jesus those who are who who are moving from death to life will receive an incorruptible crown Philippians chapter 4 verse 1 and 1st Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 19 says you can receive a winner's crown. You know what I love about the book of Revelation? It gives us one full good awesome message. We win. We win. It doesn't matter what the devil does. It doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what rebellions and 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 and, and antichrist spirit f- you know, throw their fist in the face of God. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter the immorality of others. It doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter what we've had to go through. It doesn't, uh, none of that matters in the end. After it's all said and done, those of us who are in Christ Jesus will have a winner's crown because we will win over sin. We will have victory over death. We will have victory over the grave. We will have victory over uh, 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 all of the pressures of this life. We'll have no more crying, no more dying, no more weariness, no more anxiety, no more pressure, no dis- d- discouragement or depression, no more, no, no more fighting with sin. Second Timothy chapter four, it tells us we'll receive a crown of righteousness. In first Peter chapter five, verse four, we'll receive a crown of glory. Well, it sounds like we're going to get a whole lot of crowns for living in a way that God has required us to live. But why would he give us crowns? Why would it be important? I mean, isn't that egotistical? Isn't that prideful? Wouldn't our carnality cause us at this point before we're transfigured and go to heaven? Wouldn't we be the kind of walking? We're not. I can imagine how you might think of that, or I might think of that walking around heaven, going, "Yeah, look at my crowns. I got the crown of righteousness and the crown of. I got the crown. I'm a winner's crown. Are you a winner? Did you get a winner's crown? I mean. That speaks to ego, doesn't it? No, there's a very specific reason why God is awarding us with crowns because He wants us to know a couple of things. Number one, He wants us to know that He honors our commitment to Him. He loves our commitment to Him. And He wants us to know that there are rewards and there are awards given to us for sticking with it For standing in truth, for living it right, for doing it well. But the second thing he wants us to realize, we see in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. See, the purpose that we're giving these rewards, all of these rewards, all of these crowns are all given to people who are overcomers. The reason is because Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 tells us what we're supposed to do with those crowns. Revelations 4.10 in the NIV says this, we will lay these crowns at the feet of Jesus in an act of worship to Him. I want you to see this, if you will. I don't know when the crowns come. I don't know know what the timing would be, but either all of those who are dead in Christ, let's just imagine we're all in heaven, surrounding the throne, and those who went in the rapture and were caught away and were transfigured and they're corruptible, put on incorruption, and and they were made like Christ because they saw him as he is, as the Bible tells us. And now we're in these glorified bodies and and God just begins to hand out crowns. And he says, you overcame. You, 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 you kept your faith. You were persecuted. You were treated unfairly. The devil tried to take you out. The sin tried to overcome you, but you overcame. You, you stayed with it. You didn't give up. You persevered in your faith. You didn't understand everything always, but you just kept looking to me and here's you a crown, a winner's crown, and here's you a crown of righteousness because I made you righteous. Here's you a crown that that is a crown that of glory and a crown of grace and a crown of the overcomer. And I can imagine everyone's cheering everyone. Oh, yes, we made it. Yes, we did it. But then there's going to come a moment where angels begin to move and heaven begins to stir and I believe that Jesus will sit down on his throne and all of us will become aware of only one thing that that all of life that we went through was very short in comparison to the eternity that we are now entering and we're all going to change our focus to the things that were of earth and temporary and all of a sudden our minds, our hearts are going to take on the full revelation of who God is and what God was doing and we're going to look into the mysteries and see revelation. Instead of saying, seeing concealment, we're going to see God reveal himself. As he sets down on the throne, Jesus is at his right hand. And Jesus is going to be glorified. God is going to point to him. and The Father is going to point to him. And all of us, without even, I believe, without even anyone having to say a word, the millions and millions and millions of people that are going to exist in that moment from history even till now. And no one's going to say it's time. No one's going to say, hey, grab your crowns. I believe without any kind of prompting whatsoever because the moment will call for it. We will all acknowledge there is no glory for me. I don't need it, nor do I want it. I've done nothing. I've achieved only what I've been made to be able to achieve because of the one who is worthy. And we're going to all realize in that moment that there's only one really worthy. The Bible declares it this way. The angels will fly around and say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the lamb for sinners slain. In that moment where we're all collected in heaven, it's not going to be about, hey, we made it. But it's going to be about who caused us to make it. It's not going to be about how oh, we overcame. It's going to be about glory to the one who overcame it all for us. And we're going to take those crowns off. And we're going to lay them at his feet. And we're going to worship and worship and worship. And we're going to be in his presence Tangibly and physically And we're going to know Him As He knows us And we're going to be like Him And we're going to give Him The glory that He deserves We're going to give Him the glory That history did not give Him We're going to give Him the glory That the people who have been against Him The Antichrist spirit We're going to give Him the glory They did not give Him We're going to give Him the glory That will replace The glory that should have been given to Him But wasn't and we're going to worship his holy name because he loved us and he cared for us and he did something no one else could do when he didn't have to do it. The church can take heart. that Out of tribulation comes triumph. Out of persecution comes the prize and out of death we find life thank you Jesus who always causes us to triumph Father we thank you for your word today we are so grateful for your eternal presence and the eternity that you've placed in us We are so thankful that this life is only but a vapor. And we're so grateful that in a relationship with you, we have access into eternity and that we will live with you forever. And we're grateful that you're giving us an urgency and imparting to us a a need to truly share you with everyone we come in contact with. Lord, help us to be like the church at Smyrna, that no matter what difficulties we face, no matter what's going on in our culture, that we won't get off track, but we'll stand in our faith and we'll declare to the world, Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. If you don't know Jesus today, and you're on... With us here at Church Online, I, I want you to make sure you connect with one of our pastors and leaders. There'll be a place there for you to, a link there for you to connect. Please click that link. Please fill out that information. We want to help you in your spiritual growth and we want to make sure that your relationship with God is sure. We want to make sure that you are experiencing everything you can experience in that relationship. We want to serve you, we want to help you, we want to love you. So before you get off today, I'm praying that if you need to make a decision to follow Christ, you will connect on that platform, whatever it is, and that you'll allow one of our pastors or leaders to connect with you and pray a prayer and lead you into a relationship with God. And the rest of us, I just want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't be hopeless. Don't be defeated. Hey, I know some things get hard sometimes and I know they could get worse. They could get more hard. But listen, our faith is not in the world's systems. Our faith is not in people. Our faith is not in governments. Our faith is not in our circumstances. Our faith is in Jesus Christ who has overcome everything. The one who is and was and is to come. The one who was dead yet is alive. That's who we serve. So what do we have to fear? Have faith in Jesus' name.